Have you seen this? Another neo-noir misfire from the 1990s? Have you seen this? The world's only podcast about obscure, overlooked, and misbegotten media. All discussions will be spoiler heavy. You have been warned. This one comes from JR, one of our Patreon subscribers. So if you'd like to hear over 80 more episodes, join our Discord, and suggest other films for us to cover, head over to patreon.com and search for Have You Seen This? And for just $5 a month, you can keep misbegotten cinema in the limelight. When Jen asked me if I wanted to watch a movie starring Julianne Moore and produced by Gail Ann Hurd, I thought this is going to be like another one of those uh, Sarah Connor or like Ellen Ripley characters like uh, two of uh, Hurd's other big movies, right? Julianne Moore is barely in this. <clears throat> not, not that's a big deal. Uh, this was uh, this is Cast a Deadly Spell. It is a not a horror movie. It is a magical realism. Ah, fuck it. It's folk horror. It's a folk horror, uh, neo-noir about a detective and also magic is real. That's our one conceit for this movie. And it uh, stars uh, Fred Ward, who was uh, in Tremors, which is in the same way that this is a comedy that's not funny. Um, Tremors is a is not a comedy that is funny. Does that make sense? <laughs> Tremors is great. Tremors is great. I think that's probably the the category you define it. You wouldn't say it. I wouldn't say that it's a comedy. I wouldn't say it's necessarily an action movie. I'd say that Tremors is a great movie. Also produced by Gail Ann Hurd, who has uh, produced other uh, such uh, movies worthy of worthy of commentary, like uh, The Ghost in the Darkness, which I know Jen, you're a fan of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, but. Uh, but anyway, so we have, uh, yeah, this one came to us uh, from one of our listeners, and it, the the funny thing is that watching it um, is that the more of these movies you and I watch, the closer I feel like we're getting to, like, what the sort of unified theory is that you can, like, if, if you fed it into chat, chat GPT, you're saying, like, given these kind of movies that we all gravitate towards, what kind of movie... Like, should I watch next, or what kind of movie would that be? Because they all, they all have a certain indescribable something in common that I, uh, <laughs> that I, I'm I'm trying to to work for work towards. I think if we just do another 170 more episodes of this, we can maybe figure out just uh just what the uh what the common denominator is in all these. Jen, do you have anything to say in this episode? Well, um, well, let me stop you there, Tim, because okay. this isn't just another misbegotten 90s neo-noir. There's a little twist to it. There is a Lovecraftian twist, if you will. Uh, oh, uh, yeah. Um, I, don't, uh, I don't know if our listeners are sharp enough to, to catch it. <laughs> It's pretty but, subtle. Yeah. It, and I mean, you, you, <laughs> I you guess kinda you have to do this in 1991. Yeah. You can, you can let it slide with this movie because um, in 1991, like, you, you know, 
Lovecraft wasn't like well known enough that like you could get reminded of his racism on like a Twitter thread. It was still fairly obscure, you know, people read books. I feel like people would have been like, well, yeah, like he named his cat the hard R N-word, but he wasn't mm-hmm. like racist. He wasn't, yeah, he wasn't racist racist. He he didn't actually interact with enough people to be racist towards them. Um, but... <laughs> yeah, how can you be racist if you never leave your house? See, yeah, it's the, the one hand clapping. That's exactly right. A racist falls in the forest. But yeah, this uh, this has got a little uh, twisteroo on it, and um, you know, as you say, I don't think Lovecraft was as known because this was a time when nerd shit was still Star Wars. It wasn't the case that nerd culture permeated the mainstream to the degree it has today would you say yeah it was back when being uh being a nerd actually meant something uh no it was it, it was more like <laughs> being a nerd was something to be reviled not um to be printed on a t-shirt and sold at hot topic yeah like i i know old school nerds who actually got like dunked in trash cans for playing dungeons and dragons so, yeah, back when when we were safely cordoned off before you know infecting the rest of popular culture. Yeah, but this was a different era. This wasn't as prominent. This is years before, um, for example, a show like Lovecraft Country. Mm-hmm. Um, it was still a little so, bit no no people weren't as tuned into weird fiction, which I think is why you could. Well, it's still weird to me that this was a film. Made in-house by HBO. That's that is, I think, is the crux of it. You know, like the kind of the it's not TV, it's HBO. Like this is not a movie. This is a TV movie. Yeah, and it it's um, but that's the the flip side of that is I was thinking the whole time while I was watching this, this is like something we would see on B movie TV. Mm-hmm. Like, can you imagine? Or the Sci Fi Channel. Yeah, imagine the ooh. Mm. <laughs> yeah, because I because this it's predates... better than that. To be fair, well, I mean, I don't know. Like they got um, uh, what Anthony Michael Hall for the Dead Zone. Um, yeah. Well, I'm just uh, Is that my, Anthony Michael Hall. My dad, it was Anthony Michael Hall. My dad was a regular okay. viewer of the Sci Fi Channel back in the day, and I don't uh-huh. think he liked a single thing that he watched on it. He watched he hours. He didn't like Lex? What is wrong with that guy? I know, right? It's such a charming show. But um, I think it offended him. No, like, um, (laughs) Sci-Fi Channel made a lot of, uh, of sort of, you know, made-for-TV genre movies, and they were all pretty bad, as I recall, or at least not memorable. Yeah, they they did they redid a forgettable (laughs) version of Dune. Yes. At that point, people were like, "I'm just gonna watch the Alan Smithy." feature instead because at least it's got something going on uh the closest point of reference i can think of like uh police investigations and the supernatural would be dresden files although i'm not really familiar with that series either oh yeah based Um, on a a book series i believe yeah 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 Yeah. so it it is grasping towards something um but yeah like i was saying earlier like it kind of uh it shares a lot of commonalities with a, a lot of the other things that we review on here, which is like it it doesn't it, it's it's grasping at something and it doesn't quite reach what it is mm-hmm. um, because it is possible to do 
you know, well, well, we we've covered a lot of neo noirs on the show that that don't work. Like just um, uh, by by reference, we've got um, you know, Body of Evidence, uh, The Two Jakes, Mad Dog Time, Dick Tracy, Cool World, Ugh. Angel Heart, <laughs> like ooh, yeah, that one's the, good the, though. Well, that one is good, but it is it is taking like we're we're gonna do you know we're gonna do Nora, but we're gonna do it a little differently. And each of those, to varying degrees, uh, has tried that. So, um, so yeah, our our listener really has. They have, you know, they should do our program. And they got the thumb, you know, on the pulse of what the show is about because Cast a Deadly Spell is very much in that same sort of soup of where uh, of where these other. Uh, um, of, of where these other uh, noirs came from, and I think that it was something that we had covered, or that that Paul had mentioned on in our Dick Tracy episode. You, know, if, if you want to rewind back to back to uh, 1989, when you've got um, you know Batman uh, doing doing big numbers, and um, and I think you know Paul presented the 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 observation that the takeaway from that. Uh, from the executives was oh we need to do more movies about 1930s comic serials <laughs> and that's how you got things like you know you got a green light for dick tracy that's how you got like the phantom and other things that you know paul mentioned and not me so i think that the success of of noir in the 70s like you've got uh what you got chinatown um you've got uh what was it the long goodbye yeah, the long goodbye. No, I mean uh, I'm signing off. Goodbye. Oh, okay. Thank you. She <laughs> stop interrupting. Um, night moves. Yeah, night moves. So you've got a lot of that, and I think that if I'm trying to establish a timeline too, it isn't just Batman in '89, but you have um, Who Framed Roger Rabbit the year before. So in '88, you have let's do a neo noir where something is different, and I think uh. that, that that I think that these are the things that kind of got the ball rolling. Where you have Chinatown, you have as as noir, you've got Batman as a serial, you've got Dick Tracy as another noir. And one of the things too is that if you recall, you know, if you're a, a film nerd who got into film for the wrong reasons, you remember that things like um, you know, Star Wars and Raiders of the Lost Ark, those are based on the, you know, serial shows that uh that these directors loved as a kid and they're like we're gonna come back and do those you know we're we're gonna do elevated serials you know to borrow a horrible <laughs> phrase that's been maligning horror left and right but that is kind of the i want to say like that's the reason that you have a lot of the neo-noir coming around again because it, just as like adventure and sci-fi serials you had of course detective serials um you know batman fitting squarely into that and saying you know i want to do I want to do my version of this thing that I loved as a kid. So you have kind of this, you know, the ball rolling of uh, of, of more more noir. Um, I, I don't know if Deadman Don't Wear Plaid necessarily fits into that theory in 1982, but that is kind of a reimagined noir, is it not? Um, yeah, yeah, you know, the, playing the, with the, with the, um, standards of the of the genre. Yeah, yeah, it is a um, it is a. Uh, farcical uh plot of uh steve martin gags strung together uh between clips from classic noir movies of the 40s i always Um, confuse that one with the man with two brains 
The Man with Two Brains is uh, that that is a Steve Martin sci-fi adventure. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, that also has David Warner in it. What if you combined The Man with Two Brains mm-hmm. with Dead Men Don't Wear a Plaid? Would you get this movie? <laughs> <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> I mean, why the hell not? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um I I think both those movies are hilarious um they're very Jen, funny yeah i may, may disagree why, um, why why would i why would i disagree because i wanted to watch the man with two brains uh with you and you're like i don't like that movie man with two uh yeah but huh yeah i don't th- when was that this was years ago uh hmm why are do you, you think i would have forgotten jen <laughs> I now I'm not doubting your lived experience, Tim. Uh huh. But mm-hmm. I don't remember that, and I don't know why I would have said that I didn't like that movie. Ah, uh, you're probably on your period. Um, <laughs> so, so you've got reimagined noirs in in the zeitgeist of the early. Tim's 80s. Been watching Eddie Murphy raw again. <laughs> It was a formative experience, that and Red Dwarf. And by formative, I don't mean good. Um, the Untouchables is a neo-noir in 1987. It is a trend that is continuing on. So I can understand how this got made because you have a preceding decade and some change of saying, I want to do a noir, but I want to do it a little differently. Because people have been going for that. I mean, even it's it's a stretch, but I mean, you know, Ghostbusters injects the supernatural into a, you know, a sort of modern paradigm. It's not a noir, but even that is just people are into things that are uh that are normal things but supernatural. Is is the case I'm kind of in my own way clawing towards. Sorry, I'm just trying to think of why I would have said that I don't like Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. Maybe, uh, maybe because it's fat phobic. Ultimately, <laughs> <laughs> maybe because it's got David Warner in it. Who? But I love David let's, Warner. Let's be fair. Like, yes, I love David Warner too. But he doesn't star in what I would call good movies. Mm, uh, we could call him a working actor, like any. Okay, other. yeah, we, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that works too. I mean, I, I, I don't hold Quest of the Delta Knights against him. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, I'm sure someone, uh, our astute listeners are going to be like, has this motherfucker never seen Brazil? Or not Brazil, uh, Time Bandits. Or Time After Time. Or Time After Time. It seems like, you know, I don't have any time for or watching Tron. Time. Or Tron, yeah. Tron After Tron. Mm-hmm. tron Maybe it, Yeah, maybe it is just, it is genre pictures, and genre pictures are sort of, um... Those get kind of consigned to, uh, to streaming. One might say, and by that I mean, um, this is this is currently streaming on Max, um, which is the uh, corpse of HBO Max. Um, yeah, thank you, David Zaslav. I yeah, hope at, you fall face down onto a porcupine. I I, I hope that you uh, try reading from the Necronomicon and get gobbled up by a rectum monster. It's going to be um, so awesome when Max is nothing but episodes of 90 Day Fiance. Well, that's the thing, is that after I watched this on Max, 
uh, I thought I'm gonna flip through and I'm gonna see if I can, you know, catch up on old episodes of Westworld. And it's like, no, that isn't there. Like that costs too much money to show people. We want we want the subscription money. We don't want to pay out the royalties. So we're gonna go with, you know, forgettable cross-genre neo-noirs like a like like cast a deadly spell yeah this one i was actually um well first i was surprised to find out that it was an hbo production because as our um our friendly listener messaged us and just said like oh like i don't know if you've heard of this movie with uh, fred ward in it um it's definitely misbegotten you know i thought you guys might like <laughs> yeah. to goof on it and i was like okay like i don't actually know that one mm-hmm. um yeah i had not heard anything about this yeah and then i looked it up and i was like huh Fred Ward and uh, Julianne Moore, like, I'll be, huh, this is an HBO production, like, right. an HBO in-house thing, and I was like, wait a minute, I bet that means that it's uh, on Max, because uh-huh. HBO hasn't killed all of their product on that stream Yeah, just the yet. ones that, that cost money to see, like, you know, at the end of this, like, after this episode airs and are, you know... Legions of listeners are going to watch the movie after this. You know, Julianne Moore is going to get a check for 11 cents and be like, huh, someone watched Cast a Deadly Spell. <laughs> put that she one looks by great me. in it. She does. But keep in mind, too, that this is at, at the time when um, when Julianne Moore uh, was in more like sort of um, middling fare. This was when she was doing things like... Um, Body of Evidence. Uh, yeah, like... Oh, jeez. <laughs> Yeah, another another one kind of like this. Yeah, body of evidence for fuck's sake. Um, like nine months, like the Gus Van Sant remake of Psycho when she had a minor role. Oh it, it, yeah, I think yeah. In the Vera Miles role. I saw that in the in the theater. I did too, because it, because it was the nineties, and you're like, fuck it, you know, just I'll just watch whatever. I still don't know what they were getting at with that remake. I don't either. It was Gus is an indie film director and he'll do unusual things. And you're like, hey, maybe something will come of this. No, it didn't. But that's that's the, the roll of the dice. I guess um, maybe they, they, they were watching Psycho and they're like, wait, we need to make it explicit that uh, Norman Bates was jerking off when he was watching Marion Crane in the shower. Right. Yeah. So it, here's it, you, you a, here's can't... a profile shot of Vince Vaughn breathing heavily and uh, <laughs> vibrating slightly. Yeah, you can't just show a toilet flushing in a movie and expect people to get shocked anymore. Yeah. So so yeah, it was Julianne Moore doing um, kind of more more middling stuff. This isn't when she was. You know, this isn't like after Boogie Nights. This isn't after like Shortcuts or like The Hours. This was when she she was in her David Warner working actor period. <laughs> Yeah, um, it you know it it's unavoidable. Yeah, but you know she she grew into her uh, into her ability, and you know she's getting better roles. But in this, yeah, she is like just comically underused. She's and the want... the femme fatale. Yeah, and a chanteuse. Sort yeah. Well, I mean, someone she's who dubbed, she lip syncs but... to. Yeah, because. Yeah. And that's the, the even more confounding thing about this is like, I mean, this this isn't the um, you know the the first colorful neo noir that has a uh, a lousy singer in the femme fatale role, um, but at least Madonna <laughs> can sing. Uh, Julian, well, meh. I know she's she's no Mandy Patinkin. She can carry a tune. 
Yeah, okay. No, but I I was thinking that as I was watching this, just as an aside. Yeah. Um, is it because the implication is that a really fabulous-looking dame in a nightclub has mm-hmm. been given that job because of her appearance that she that they're always like kind of crappy singers. You know, it's about a whole vibe. Yeah. More than anything. Uh cuz you know, they it's... never they never sound like Ethel Merman. Yeah. I mean, I I'm going to see um uh I'm go- I'm going to see, you know, Little Big at the end of the month, but I mean, like I I don't I don't listen to that band because you know, I I think that uh, you know Sonia uh, Tayerskaya is a great singer. Tim's like they it, have music. I, I I'm not going to see a little bit for the music. But anyway, that the point that I'm making is you're there for for the for the whole package, and the singing is just a small part of it. Madonna already knows this. Yeah. Co-star of, co-star of Dick Tracy and like Body executive producer or something. Yeah. Um. You know, I think that a really good example of that kind of thing, like the 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 nightclub singer that isn't very good. I always think of Diane Keaton and Annie Hall. Yeah. Like I, there was that scene early on where uh, she's singing in the club and people are kind of talking over her, and you know you hear dishes clinking or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then she's really insecure because, you know, oh, gosh, like nobody was even listening to my singing or whatever. And it's like, well, maybe it's because you suck. Yeah, that's sometimes it. So it is weird that Julianne Moore is in this role because she doesn't sing. She doesn't really do comedy either. There are there are a couple of gags in this that are not bad, but to call it a comedy is, I think, misleading. Well, it's strange the way it occasionally dips into comedy. Yeah. Um, I won't say that it's tonally inconsistent, except, well, maybe I am saying that because... Um, it really does feel like schlock, like okay, elevated schlock. <laughs> like, and the reason that I brought up B movie TV earlier is because that you know this same screenplay with like a low budget and like a bunch of nobody actors, it mm-hmm. would kind of feel the same. Like, I think it's it's uh, yeah. improved somewhat by having a really stellar cast uh-huh. and all of the resources that. HBO has to offer, but also then there are all those goofy, rubbery monsters in it. Yeah, and that I think is uh, that is one of those things that how do how do I say this? the The premise sort of invites those things into it, like goofy monsters from hell, like you know gremlins um, as, as a trope uh, sort of appear in the movie. It rains blood for some reason. Um, we have vampires and werewolves like being booked at the at the police station, um, which is all fine and good, except it doesn't really enter. It doesn't figure into the story. Mm-hmm. So you take that stuff away and you focus the story on I don't know things that are relevant to the plot, if that's not too much to ask. But the more of those things you start to take away, you look and you're like, we just have a regular noir here with a bunch of silly made up lovecraft words in it yeah like, and we don't we don't have a, a unique premise anymore yeah and the movie starts off with uh by telling the audience that this is la in 1948 and everybody uses magic as it turns yes. out everybody except fred ward our, our main character who is our, our main c- character h philip lovecraft uh, yeah <laughs> you get it he goes to the dunwich room that's a club ah! 
<laughs> you know what that is? Do you know? Do you know what that's a reference to, Jen? Do you? I'm do really. You know? I, is it because it was set on the West Coast that they don't mention like Miskatonic University at any point? Right. Yeah. Well, then it. Yeah. You. You. Basically, if you. Um. If you mention Miskatonic University three times, like Jeffrey Combs will just show up. <laughs> <laughs> that's why he's in so many movies. Right. Yeah. And it is weird too. Uh. That. You know, our listener mentioned this movie because, um, it, well, it's weird that the listener mentioned it and neither of us had heard of it because throughout the 90s, we had like five Lovecraft movies to draw from. That's true. There, yeah, we there have, wasn't kind of the the flowering of uh, Lovecraftian media that yeah. um, you had in the 2000s and beyond. Right. Yeah. We had, uh, speaking of beyond, yeah, we didn't have, you know, from beyond we didn't have we had like from beyond we had dagon um in the mouth of madness sort of uh, did you know that dagon was produced by the same production company that made faust love of the damned they have a particular set of skills and they stick to it i like that um so it was those um reanimator and i'm just gonna say another one i can't think of yeah well reanimator was the the big one from the mid 80s Right. And then um, there was that really boring one that you told me to watch because it had the guy from Hawk the Slayer in it. Okay. The, oh, um, oh, the, uh. The Resurrected. The, the, yeah, the, 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 the goofy-ass case of Charles Dexter Ward and his, <laughs> yeah. and his kooky blood-drinking habits. <laughs> yeah, something yeah. like that. But, um, right. yeah, so, but, oh, I'm sorry, Tim. I apologize. I don't know if I'm cutting off what you were getting toward. No, I will. Uh, I will cut you off if you try to cut me off. It's it's, <laughs> it's called a conversation. This <laughs> try is it someday. It's a very cutting conversation. Right. Just, no. It, Tim and I just Tim and I record this sitting across each other, each with a knife on the table in front of mm-hmm. us, not holding the knife, just mm-hmm. you know next to our hand in case we see the need to use it. It's like a knife in the water, except it's on a table. It, it keeps us on our toes. Mm-hmm. But um, the thing I was going to say, because the reason I mentioned it, that opening of the film, where we're informed that this is a Los Angeles in which everyone is a magic user, except Mr. Lovecraft, Ward, yeah. Yeah. not the racist shut-in, um, the uh, <laughs> private eye uh, played by Fred Ward. The private eye with an ugly tie. And you're like, okay. Um, cool premise, you know, um, magic users. There are a lot of different directions you could take that in. Mm-hmm. And it's also mentioned that it is a sticking point for Mr. Lovecraft that he does not use magic. And you're like, ooh, like, what's this about? Mm-hmm. And it appears to just be a, a, a matter of principle. Like, yeah. uh, magic is sort of is sort of depicted as a, you know, taking the easy way, um, maybe a way to um, kind of cheat your way to success or whatever. Or perhaps if you play your cards right, achieve the status of a god. Um, so it's uh, it's playing on easy mode, basically. Um, now yeah, I'm extra- and, and Julianne Moore says as much at the end. Like, it, it, right. it is, just, yeah, it is by way of metaphor. It's, it's kind of buying in and, you know, uh, uh, copping mm-hmm. out. <laughs> yeah you know, yeah which is like okay all that is fine mm-hmm. but apparently there was a sequel to this movie called witch hunt okay. and the fred ward uh 
role was taken over by Dennis Hopper. And wow. they do the whole, um, oh, this this guy doesn't use magic. But in that movie, it's made explicit that it's a it's because of a previous bad experience that he had. Okay, so it's not about principles. Okay, well, right. Well, that's that's the thing because I was kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop in this movie mm-hmm. to get a little bit more insight into why this character doesn't want to use magic, like not even to light a cigarette or something, because people do that kind of trivial magic in yeah. in this universe it's shown yeah yeah sorry the the quote uh from julianne moore is everybody uh compromises everybody cheats everybody uses magic so that is the that they're throwing magic in with those other vices yeah which is fine i guess i would have liked to have seen that a little more developed because i would have liked to have seen a lot of things more developed (laughs) i mean it feels like it's something that we're told Mm -hmm. and there isn't a lot of depth to that concept there that's probably the best summary of the movie right there yeah there isn't a lot of depth to that concept because yeah it does take a lot of these movies that i'm throwing out in the event in the um in the hopes that it'll congeal into a theory but i've been out of school so long i can't do that anymore um i'm unable to but yeah it is um it's throwing out a lot of things that you're hoping will kind of come together to to realize a particular vision the the problem is that there's so many things that aren't really in service of anything that it just kind of becomes like background noise window dressing like the the whole thing with like the werewolves and the vampires and the police station it's like you can cut that like the the scene with the gremlins goes on too long that should have been like a cutaway gag but when you cut all that stuff out, eventually you're just like, well, our, our movie is just unraveling the, the more of the magic stuff that we remove from it. Even though, I mean, if I had my druthers, I think that you could do the same thing without actually having, without needing to have magic be real in this, uh, in, in this scenario. It can just be some weird cultists who have it in their mind that you need to kill someone's daughter on a certain time because that's what we think is a good idea. It doesn't have to, doesn't have to matter because I mean, whether, you know, the occult is real, you know, whether Mm -hmm. anything from the Cthulhu mythos is like, you know, an actual thing, someone's going to get killed for nefarious purposes. And sometimes that's enough. So I'm saying this movie needs like 90% less magic you know what? It's magical noir movie. That makes me think of um. I haven't seen the sequel, but like the um the guy Richie Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. Where oh um, yeah yeah there was like a whole cult thing in that movie, but mm-hmm. um it was all bullshit. It's not like oh like the spirits are real. It was enough yeah. that these got that these were just evil guys doing nefarious shit. Yeah, and the thing that I loved about that is that you know I watched that you know. Being, you know, I was uh, a, you know, a younger man, more of a antagonistic atheist, as they all are. Um, but <laughs> it's yeah, a going phase that, that we all have to go through. It is, yes, yes, of course. <laughs> and people listening are like, yeah, I can see that. Um, but yeah, I went into that movie and knowing that it's you know grounded in reality, and you know, and you know, it is um, Sherlock Holmes solves the problem, and he gets to the uh, yeah, he get he gets to the the motivation and the uh, facts behind the mystery. But I get through the whole thing, and like, there's about there's a point, you know, about halfway through where you're like, oh, I guess maybe magic is real in this world. But it's like, no, you dummy, 
(laughs) You bought into the lie. Like, they they snowed you. They tricked you. And it's only at the end when, you know, Sherlock Holmes is, you know, explaining everything. Where it's like, this is how they did this. This is how they did that. Explaining all the tricks. And you're like, damn it, they fucking got me. Yeah. It's kind of a nice little twist that I was that I wasn't expecting and because you see it and you're like I guess so yeah but and on the other hand credulous more on that I am um and I'm not opposed to magic being real Mm -hmm. um you know like in Forrest Gump (laughs) oh yeah I mean how does a feather even manage that that's that's wild (laughs) how did he run across the entire country Without taking breaks. Um, He's got retard strength, Jen. I'm not opposed to magic being real, of course, but no. you know what? Am I being mm. too picky if I say that um, you sh- you can have magic or you can have vampires and werewolves? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and I don't think that you're being too picky. Yeah, because I... they, don't, they don't feel like they... And that sounds stupid to say that it's like, well, I don't feel like those things live in the same universe. But to me, it's like, no, those things kind of don't live in the same universe. Yeah, this is has more of a it's it's witchcraft and it's also, um, you know, Lovecraft mm-hmm. and it's also vampires and it's also werewolves. Like it's got so many like facile ideas going on. You would think that Jordan Peele directed it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, kind of a, a a grab bag of ideas that don't. Yeah, it's here. like this would be cool to put in. It's like, well, is this in service of your main plot? Yeah. <laughs> Why are we asking these questions? And I'll say this: it is watchable. It's an entertaining yarn. I mm-hmm. I didn't get bored watching it. Right. Um, yeah, it does do a lot of silly things. I also feel like in 1991, this would have seemed way cooler. Well, here's another thing. Adding to my litany of um, of noir horror movies, this didn't work in 1991. You know what did work in 1992 is Death Becomes Her. That's a great movie. And it very is. funny. Yeah. And very, a... very dark. Yes. And... It's a funny, dark movie about fucked up people in Hollywood. Yeah. and um... Which, you know... Yeah, and I find that that is what, I, like, I like to see stuff like that, which really kind of goes for the jugular. Mm-hmm. Like, it makes it it makes it funnier. Yeah, it it doesn't kind of it doesn't try to prop up a um uh a, a sort of moral about you know magic is is synonymous with just like kind of being being underhanded. It just has people who are using one particular kind of magic mm-hmm. which is in the wrong hands of course you know causes bad things to happen um you know that is kind of a morality play in itself um and i think to your point about you can't have witchcraft and lovecraft and werewolves and vampires and gremlins all in the same movie is and someone um more articulate than me uh go subscribe to their podcast fuck it um more someone more articulate than me has pointed out that the problem with magic is that um you know magic needs rules mm-hmm. like it has to be a way to say you can do you can do x but not y or to do a you have to give up c you know or or whatever like you have to you have to be able to con- to define constraints uh, with how you're using magic. Otherwise, it's just like, and then something happens. And it's like, well, is there anything I can do about it? Maybe there is, maybe there isn't. I don't know. 
And you see that a lot with um, uh, with the uh, uh, with the what was it uh, Harry the 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 club owner. You see that a lot with his henchman, the guy dressed all in white, which is why I'm going to mention Untouchables again. <laughs> um, and then that's probably a reference to something that you know people actually watch TCM would know. Be like that. Untouchables will be a reference to this. Like, yeah, right, fine, sure. But thanks, Ben um, Mankiewicz. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> thanks, Ben. Uh, but yeah. Uh, so Harry Borden. Oh, Borden. I think that's a reference to something. Um, so Harry Borden, his um, uh, his uh, like hitman in the white suit. Like he uses magic a lot, and he uses it, he uses it to interesting effect. I mean, he's doing. He's doing levitation and shit like that. He does a really neat trick, uh, killing off one of the um, uh, one of the characters that sets the story in motion. Um, they, a death they by get... a thousand cuts, in a way. Oh, that was that was brilliant. Yeah, like, that was fun. That was cool. That was a neat use of magic. But unless your story is focusing on all the neat ways that you can use magic, it kind of doesn't really have a place here. Like the other times that we've seen magic used are. Lighting someone's cigarette, uh, shaking a drink tumbler. Yes. <laughs> uh, help me out here. Um, mostly for very petty things, which I guess makes sense. Um, I could definitely see if uh, magic use were a thing in the real world, like people would definitely use it for petty bullshit, like you know, just like cursing your your neighbor that who you were yeah. arguing with yeah. the fence line or whatever. <laughs> yeah, although like that's that gets into a whole thing too and this is kind of a a um uh a problem or a shortcoming with like D&D is it's like oh well I'll just um you know I'll teleport in the city I'll you know use this to whatever I'll we're going to hide all our weapons in the bag of holding and then I'll put that you know around you know a, a portable hole and then we'll sneak a, all of our you know explosives into you know the the king's court and then we'll release them all and then slaughter everyone it's like you think no one else has thought of this before like you think no one else has thought of like a countermeasure to this like the world is drastically different in non-trivial ways if magic is real like just going to a diner and um you know, like they do in the movie and and getting i don't know just like breakfast or something like it that that scene has nothing to do with magic because if you did center it around magic then the scene like is totally different you have like it it doesn't quite the idea of magic doesn't quite interlock with its premise if magic was something that was still a cult and and barely known and just used by a few select individuals then that is that's a different premise for the movie which i'm okay with mm -hmm. but that they just come out and say oh like magic is real you can buy it on tv you know something like that like it's it it loses its um oh what's the word je ne sais quoi <laughs> well i feel like the world would be a lot more chaotic Definitely, which or is um, yeah, which would in a be different way. Yeah, which would be fine, and I don't want to sound cynical, but maybe it would have been too expensive, <laughs> you know, because all of these are you know maybe. these these are all practical effects, um, right? Things I mean, I which require thinking through and setting up. So, yeah, like I appreciated all the practical effects, and I can yeah. see that being a selling point of the movie, like those you know goofy little gremlins that the guy is, is you know taking the shotgun to to try and like eradicate them and it is like a nice little bit of world building it's nice in small doses to be because you know this old guy's like oh when we came back you know from from uh 
from fighting in France, like, you know, the worst we got was the clap. Now they brought back gremlins and, you know, they're tearing apart this car. Mm-hmm. And it's funny. It's like just a little one liner. But yeah. it's like, but it, yeah, but it's like we spent $200,000 on these puppets. We need to like craft a scene around <laughs> them. Come on. Also, I think it was a mistake to design all the creatures as goofily as these little engine gremlins. Because there is a gargoyle that mm-hmm. uh, takes... He loves his job, that gargoyle. Yeah. <laughs> he shows He's up... He's very the... happy-go-lucky. Yeah, he shows up at the end and he just... But, and this is serious business because this is, you know, David Warner trying to take mm-hmm. over the world by sacrificing his virgin daughter. Yeah. And then... Well, it is David Warner ascending to godhood by sacrificing his daughter and leaving... Uh, Harry the nightclub owner to basically rule over the uh, shattered earth left yeah. behind. Which, you know, that's a that's a pretty tight plan right there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But there's this demon there, but it just looks goofy as hell. It like, has been goofy this whole time up until now, and up until the point where it eviscerates a transvestite. Ooh, yeah, like, um, hmm. That's another thing is uh, <laughs> um, th- this character of... Uh, Lily. God, Thank you. Uh, yeah. Les Winan. I was trying to think of the name. Okay. Um, <laughs> Lily Wachowski. <laughs> um, so that's where you've been hiding. I'm being mean, but uh, this this character threw me off because, uh, keep in mind, I'm watching a 1991 movie in 2023. And mm-hmm. uh, this character shows up and I'm like, there's a trans woman in this? And then... That- I thought yeah. about it, and then I was like, "Wait a minute! It's 1991. This is this is going to be something whack, isn't it?" <laughs> uh, the funny thing is that ultimately it made no difference. It was only there yeah. to confuse you. But yeah, from the time that like she first shows up in the train station mm-hmm. with um uh trying to contact Willis, because all this is about David Warner trying to get the Necronomicon, which I I just feel embarrassed saying that like describing that premise (laughs) i don't know like this is why you know this is why actors do what they do like you know david warner can you know stand and like on a movie set in front of like a gazebo that was painted earlier that morning and be like i summon you yog sothoth from like you know (laughs) beyond the infinite and he can say it with a straight face i cannot yeah he's kind of like uh he's kind of in that group of actors who's like christopher lee where it's yeah. like they've done some of the dumbest shit possible yeah. in front of a movie camera, and they're just like, damn, that guy's still cool. Yeah, it's like, I, uh, you can write this shit, George, but you can't say it. Um, <laughs> and that that kind of cuts to like the core of like what I, what really cringes me about this is that just you can't like bring up like uh something or off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can't bring up Azathoth and and expect people to be like, oh yeah, that's that's really freaky shit. And be like, no, it's just a made up name from a role playing game. <laughs> like that's most people's exposure to it. Or most people I I admire anyway. Well um, I feel like like we were emphasizing at the beginning of the episode this stuff was more outre in nineteen ninety one. Yeah, but it just sounds like you're you're just throwing out like you're you're just like coughing up a loogie. And being <laughs> like that that's the that's the evil infinite god that I worship. You're like cool. Well, I wonder if it doesn't also have to do with a lot of like really bad world building in the interim. Where like so it, it doesn't help. 
where it's 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 like that George Lucas like uh you know like sleaze bag Ellen sleaze bag <laughs> kind of thing I love that we both went there yeah yeah Count Dooku jeez ah, that guy sucks yeah like all that lame and you know Chris really right. maintained his dignity playing a character named Count Dooku god damn it uh yeah so it's yeah just embarrassing for all parties involved um but yeah when the um uh, when the when the transvestite woman shows up in the, in the uh, towards the beginning when she's there to meet uh, I think Willis who's sort of the uh, the guy who gets the plot going before dying a death of a thousand cuts which is cool and yes. does not belong in this movie um, <laughs> like when when she stands in a frame I mean maybe it was like a a shocking reveal at the time but I mean I've been catfished enough times to recognize a man in a dress. <laughs> It's just just saying like the broad shoulders, the shoulder to hip ratio, the male Q angle. I I don't know what that is. It's just some bullshit I read on Twitter. Hmm. Yeah. Like, uh, um, I was like, which uh, which Twitter account are you getting this from? <laughs> like, yeah. You know what's they're, they're funny? They're all exceptionally is, awful. So. Is that those those accounts would be like, oh, Julian Moore, definitely a man. Yeah, here, look at this uh look at this uh screenshot of like her collarbone and one of her hands. Yeah, look at her profile. Like that's right, clearly yeah. a man's brow bone and chin. All look right. at yeah, look at this uh there I've zoomed into the scene from shortcuts and she's just like you can see the duct tape. <laughs> she was definitely tucking on yeah. that set. Oh, I don't even know what the hell a male Q angle is, but I, I don't <laughs> care enough to look it up. But I, someone someone Toss it off on Twitter like it's a real thing. Mm-hmm. No, but, like, yeah. And these... what, the, the giveaway, though, is like the, the strong chin and the pancake makeup where I'm like, that's a man. Well, yeah, that's the thing is that um, I, you know, I clocked this person immediately. And then mm-hmm. you start wondering, like, okay, to what end do they have? Because this is 1991. And I'm like, okay, this isn't going to be like a, you know, this isn't them like, sensitively casting a trans woman. Yes. No, it, it isn't David Duchovny in Twin Peaks. No, 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 which is, yeah, which is like a great, which is awesome. Like, you know, David it's Lynch was- kind of there, yeah. Yeah, David Lynch was well ahead of the curve on that, mm-hmm. with that with that character. Um, but in this case, yeah, it's, it's going to be a switcheroo and it's going to be um, a chance for Fred Ward to punch a woman, quote unquote, in the face. Mm-hmm. Which is supposed to be shocking, right? Which, if you're anything like me, punching a woman in the face is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> we all laugh when we see it. It, it is. I don't. Uh, I mean, like, I know Jen and I. You disagree about it, but like, you know, aside from, I, I don't even mention Graham Linehan. <laughs> oh, let's let's yeah. Let's not get into the, the less. Let's not about, get into that. Yeah, the less said about him, the better. But I think that IT crowd, where um, uh, where Matt Berry fights a trans woman, I just find it hilarious. Mm. There's something about fighting fighting a woman that I don't know. I just think it's funny. Yeah, like I think th- th- um, there was something else going on with Graham that he. he That's he true. Yeah. That, but, <laughs> That's, um, right. He and I may be getting different things out of the scene. Um. Shit, I was going. But you know, it's it's just the it's just as uh, shocking as when it happens in the guy from Harlem. No, you know. When, yeah. Oh yeah, that it, <laughs> and that now that movie was definitely a cultural touchstone, which uh, right, yeah. influenced so many other films. No, but um, 
but this is the thing. Um, and I'm thinking of another kind of, uh, I, I think you could call it a neo-noir, um, Streets of Fire. Okay. okay. There's a part where Michael Paré punches Diane Lane in the face. <laughs> so it's a comedy. Yeah, but that's, but this is the thing because, okay, it's supposed to be shocking. Like, oh my God, Fred mm. Ward just punched a woman in the face. Yeah. I don't think that for... I think that for a certain era, male characters someone's got to pass on this. Like I know in Streets of Fire, um, I think Diane. Well, you know, <laughs> every time you punch a woman in the face, because she's being difficult, right? Right. Yeah. Um, it's you know, because you just shake them. yeah, like I I forget what the circumstances are, but Diane Lane is being difficult, and it's more expedient for Michael Perry's character to literally render her unconscious. Uh-huh. Which is like, okay, that's that's chill. I can dude. see that I can see it's like an action movie shorthand because it happens enough. Mm-hmm. Um uh Yeah, that's the kind of thing I'm thinking of where it's the 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 one thing though, the one time that I will say that I found that really disturbing though was um there's this um uh you know how like uh like disaster movies were really popular in the in this in the seventies. There was this movie that was about this airplane. Where um, one of the <laughs> woman passengers freaks out. <laughs> um, enough. Um, all right, all right. I think it was called Airport Seventy Seven. I think it had Ellen Delon. Um, right, right, yeah. Uh, you know, hey, maybe, maybe it's just not cool to punch someone regardless of how they're dressed, huh? You know, can't we all just get along? <laughs> Yeah, you know, like be friends. this is I I I She's understand. Thirty-year-old jokes. I understand why this. Uh, I mean, I get I get why it was set up the way it was. It it just and it's, I don't. Other than it being just like a dodged because the the whole thing starts with like Wills's connection, um, hands uh, Harry over a fake Necronomicon. And, oh yeah, all the know, pages are blank. Yeah, it's a little, it's a switcheroo because because um, Willis is actually Lily, and that's you know there's some you know it's like poetry it rhymes you know <laughs> you you think it's one thing but it's actually something else, but that's it. And to have a character be um yeah uh be a transvestite throughout the entirety of the movie, a minor character too, just to like hopefully throw you off like that's a stretch. And it doesn't really work. Yeah, and also the the opportunity to throw in some period accurate homophobia. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, there's that. Because um, um, it's it's just real weird. Right. And it's like you say, it's supposed to be shocking when um, Lovecraft uh, punches a uh, a woman. But if you've watched this movie, um, what thirty years hence, and you're like, and you're you see them and you're like, I clearly can see that that is a man. It doesn't help that Julianne Moore gets another line earlier that like pre prefigures this because, um, you know, Fred Ward shows the, uh, shows like the, the like little postcard or, or photo of, of what would be Lily with, um, with Willis. Although it's not Willis. It's another, it's not important. Fuck, I can't believe I'm getting into this. But like it's it's perfumed and she's like and he's like, Hey, do you recognize this perfume? And and she's oh, like, Oh right. she, yeah, she's like, Oh, this perfume is Grand Illusion. 
And <sighs> oh, and what what can you say about it? A real lady wouldn't wear it. Hmm. 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 But that. Other than us finding out later that it's a man dressed as a woman, it doesn't matter. Like, that's another one of those things that's like, that's a neat detail, but you haven't, like, integrated it into your story enough for it to be significant. It's one of those things that you could just, like, leave out and your movie isn't any worse for it. Like, it's just a a case of mistaken identity, but, you know, no one would ever suspect a woman unless she happened to be six feet tall and 180 pounds. (laughs) Yeah, it it just um it hits differently in twenty twenty three. It hits it you d- in the face differently <laughs> in twenty twenty three. Well, you know, that's tragedy plus time is comedy. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, it so like the supernatural stuff and like the magic stuff, it is uh, it's it's all it's not integrated into the story. I think that the story could have done without most of those things, and you still would have had a pretty good story about a um a a power mad cultist who is willing to sacrifice his daughter with the help of a nefarious uh club uh owner and his femme fatale. Also, it's extremely funny that mm-hmm. the world is saved by the defloration of a teenager by a man <laughs> who is significantly older than her. But by a man, no, not only a man who was already married, a man who was just tasked with tailing her. Oh, he just got the, on her tail, all right. Yeah, yeah, because earlier in the movie, uh, it's it's one of the just like random interchangeable detectives where Lovecraft is like, hey, can you watch this this chick and just, you know, keep an eye on her? And then he ends up porking her off screen, which you find out about, and it isn't important. Other than her not being a virgin and the um, the rectum monster that shows up at the end, <laughs> like the the, <laughs> I, I I think it's one of uh it's one of Lovecraft's minor monsters. I think it's uh G O A apostrophe S T. Goatsy, anyone? <laughs> hey, is this thing on? <laughs> Sorry, I am hitting on about uh two out of four cylinders tonight. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well you could probably. Uh, writer direct an HBO TV movie then um, no I'll just uh, <laughs> you know what I'll do I'll just edit in I'll just cut all that out and I'll edit out I'll edit that crap out and I'll give you the mm-hmm. laugh okay, and it'll God. be seamless <laughs> goatsy I like it um yeah because that was my first thought but but yeah like saying like even without all the magic like I was saying it does go through like all the story beats of a noir film. I mean, it, yeah. it has two investigations that on their surface don't have anything to do with each other. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it has, uh, it, it has a femme fatale. It has, you know, people with secret motives. There's some, um, dodgy, uh, commercial, uh, development. You know, there's a, uh, a, a betrayal, you know, at the, at the climax. Um, there is a private investigator at loggerheads with his former partner. This is all, you know, fairly standard noir stuff, which I'm I'm fine with. Mm-hmm. It's just that it kind of gets lost with all the other um, uh, with all the other gilding that is going on with magic and and what have you. It's just like I mean, especially with the added uh, tidbit of the housing development, it feels more like a supernatural The Two Jakes instead of a supernatural Chinatown. 
Yeah, well, let's see. Two Jakes. Um, uh, what here was that? Nine, uh, two Jakes was 90. 1990. There you go. So, yeah, so this is you know, potentially borrowing from two Jakes. And that uh, that housing development scene has another thing. Speaking of, like, interesting ideas in this movie that don't really fit or belong or go anywhere, um, would you say that there is a commonality amongst all the zombies doing laborious background work in the 1940s, Jen. Oh yeah, they um they're all uh, the same color. <laughs> yeah, you can get them in packs of six shipped from Haiti, and they can just do your uh, do your dirty work. And when they die, whatever, you can just buy another one. Not a fraught period in American history or anything. <laughs> yeah, like it's um because it, when that detail came up, I was like I was like ooh, like maybe there's going to be some interesting. Social themes in this? No, 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 not not that kind of movie. This movie does nothing for uh, for uh, the trans or queer community. It does nothing for the zombie community. <laughs> right. Yeah. The zombies of color community. <laughs> um, right. Also, there's the. Um, uh, oh yeah, and like, then there's like um, we do have positive representation. We do do have a witch doctor and her her witch lawyer. Oh, you yeah you you um you jumped on what I was trying to. To fumble toward, yeah. um, because mm. I was gonna say you have uh, Lovecraft's landlady. Yeah, I don't know what that accent is. It. You know, I don't think the actress did either. You know it what it reminds Floridian. me of? Yeah. There, I think. I think it is also on Max, unless they've uh, taken it down for no good reason. There, Too many people are watching it. Yeah, they had to take it down. <laughs> there was a documentary recently about uh, Miss Cleo. Do you remember her? I do remember Miss Cleo. Call me now. Call me now. <laughs> yeah, and her accent was about as good as mine, apparently, because um, everyone was like, "Oh yeah, she's, she's that psychic Ohio. with the Jamaican accent," and people mm-hmm. from Jamaica were like. She's not from Jamaica. That's that is not a Jamaican accent. That's not what people from Jamaica sound like. That but, is a TV Jamaica. Yeah, yeah. But it was you know it was good enough for the kind of people who would call like a psychic like hotline, I guess, or just you know yeah. white people in general because like yeah, it's Dave Chappelle's a uh, Jamaican accent from yeah. uh, Half Baked. <laughs> <laughs> what part? What part of Jamaica are you from? Right by the beach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, um, repeating other people's jokes. And uh, that's kind of what you get with this character. Mm-hmm. I, I, this was a time when, uh, I, when with representation, it was like the you take what you can get. It's kind of like how, um, like half the trans people I know, like like hate the character of Buffalo Bill, and the other half find that character incredibly affirming in a strange right. way. Yeah, <laughs> like because in terms of trans representation in nineteen. 19- 91 like well that's that's what you have like you don't have anything else um yeah well i was listening to um a i mean it was an all right episode of a podcast that i normally listen to they're talking about pendas fen <laughs> and the guest on it was talking about you know, whether you're you're queer or you're witchy or what have you you see these characters and you're like, these are misfits, these are weirdos, these are me. You mm-hmm. know, that's why you see so many girls at horror conventions, you know, dressed like Wednesday or Lydia Dietz or something like that. Or it's Harley like, Quinn. Yeah, it's like, well, that's a different. <laughs> uh, 
you see that more at Comic-Con. But yeah, it's like this character speaks to me. You know, maybe there's someone that's like, you know, I'm I'm not Buffalo Bill in that I don't, you know, push women into my van and then skin them. But like, I get that like he's not sure about who he is. Yeah. So. That's exactly So yeah, right. that, that was a great point that Mike made. Tell him that because he and I aren't speaking. <laughs> <laughs> is it is it because we roasted you in the opening to that episode? No, it's because we aren't friends. Oh, sad, really. We, we know the same people. That's it. They had a falling uh, out many years ago. Right, yeah. I wonder what it was. It was uh, probably something to do with Legos or fat women. I don't know. <laughs> Why are there no fat Lego women? And I'm just like, Jesus, Mike, let it go. <laughs> um, what were we talking right. about? Uh, we were, we we're talking about how there are a lot of elements in this movie that don't really uh, service the plot, which is fine. On its own, and I also had some more notes. Um, being as a guy who's uh, who's recording a podcast out of my bedroom, I think that I am in a position to uh, critique Julianne Moore's performance in this. Um, Drag her given, ass. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh man. No. <laughs> I mean, because dragged across my dick. <laughs> That's right. No, because I mean, we already mentioned like it's it's unusual casting that like she you know. She's a you know songstress in there. She doesn't sing. It's there's some light comedy. She's not really known for doing comedy. I don't think she's ever done comedy. She's a dramatic actress, but if she were to um, be more on board with the premise, which is it is kind of a a little bit tongue in cheek horror neo noir. I, I think I've got enough hyphens in that description. But her performance as a uh, as a femme fatale is really low key when I think that something more appropriate would have been more like Jennifer Jason Lee and Hudsucker proxy more stylized more befitting the way people talked in movies from the 40s hmm. whereas Julianne Moore is talking more like a normal person which I think is out of place given everything else that we've seen in this movie hmm I don't know I feel like um well I don't know I mean it would be there would be one you, option. I don't. I'm not saying it would be wrong, mm-hmm. um, but the, the wacky elements of this film already kind of throw off the balance so much. I I think that it would have been more in league with everything else that we're that we're looking at. I mean, we've got Clancy Brown, who I think the most Kurgan. of you will recognize. Yeah, the the Kurgan or um, the uh, uh, what the 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 head guard from. Um, uh, from Shawshank Redemption. He was also in Blue Steel with Jamie Lee Curtis. Good for him. Yeah. So he, I mean, just to take a look at him, he is very much of the of the part. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, you have David Warner trying to summon Cthulhu at the end. And I think if you had had Julianne Moore just doing like a 40s accent or inflection, I don't think that would have been too outside the norm. Mm. I mean, yeah, you know, it's a, it's an option. I think yeah we ha- we had a a greasy spoon manager get killed by like a a giant rat skeleton earlier <laughs> in the movie that came out of a crock pot. <laughs> yeah, those are those are the parts where I was really like, wait, HBO funded this? Yep. Because um. I could be wrong because I haven't looked into their catalog at the time. And yes, like, you know, obviously, um, Gail Ann Hurd had produced her 
share of genre stuff, but this just feels mm-hmm. so goofy. Like it's more towards the like Frank Henenlotter or like trauma end of things. In those yeah, parts. I mean, I I generally associate Gail and Heard with you know Terminator and Aliens, yes. which is is severely elevates her um, in my esteem. But then I see this, and then I see some of the other stuff, and I'm like. Oh, maybe it was just James Cameron this whole time. Well, because this is it, because this feels really schlocky. It does, yeah. And I don't know I, why we aren't saying this at the beginning of the episode, but I kind of wonder why the decision was made to kind of lean into the the goofiness. Like, I think was I think this was this just too early for them to trust the audience with a movie that is is Lovecraftian. But also serious, like were they I, were they thinking of something? Because um, you take you like have Reanimator, to make a comedy because you, like you go ahead. You take Reanimator. Reanimator is really fucking funny. Mm-hmm. Like there are some really great sight gags in that movie, mm-hmm. and it really works. But in this, it's like yeah, like okay, like the Gremlins are kind of funny and stuff like that. But it it just feels more. Uh, Tiki tacky. Well, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, and comedies are funnier if the characters aren't in on the joke. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that partly the reason that this kind of leans toward comedy—I'm not going to say it's a comedy, but it does kind of lead that way—is that like I love this stuff, but it is kind of stupid, <laughs> and you have to you have to kind of make it a comedy just because it's so like naff. You know, it's it's dumb and like. Well, to I be like, yeah, I, I worship this, you know, imaginary god that, you know, just looks like a, a mound of blubbering flesh. It's like, all right, sure. Well, you know what? I feel like that's kind of a cop out. It's kind of like how. Um, OK. Speaking as a progressive rock fan, I remember watching. Oh, yeah. Speaking of things that are embarrassing. Well, this is the thing. I remember watching a documentary, I think at my friend's place that was about. Um, I think it was like BBC produced and it was about like the history of progressive rock. And the way it opened was with people talking about the genre, but in this, in this tone of like almost embarrassment, <laughs> like, oh, well, yeah. yeah, like, you know, the, the lyrics are very flowery and, you know, yeah, Rick Wakeman wore like sparkly capes and blah, blah, blah. And it's kind of like, you know what, like at this point in history, like, can we fucking stop? It's like, just say like... Yeah, I I like the gay elf music, and I don't give a shit if you don't like it. Like, I'm just gonna lean into it. Well, like, it isn't a I, matter like, of Peter Gabriel dressed in a red dress with a fox's head. Fuck yeah! Like, I'm just gonna lean the fuck into it. Like, okay. and it's the same thing with this, where it's like, oh, like yeah, it's a, <laughs> you know, it's like a detective story, but they're also like these monsters in it. Like, whatever. Like, we don't take it too seriously. It's like, no. It's Lovecraft. It's horrifying. Like, make the monsters actually fucking scary. Like, mm-hmm. make a, like, you know, well, Gail Heard produced Aliens. Like, xenomorphs mm-hmm. are scary. Imagine, like, demons yeah, as scary as a fucking yeah. xenomorph in this. That's, the movie is trying to walk a very thin line between all these options. Like, do you want to have scary monsters? Do you want to have a noir movie? Do you want to have, like, a, a like sort of light uh, comedic fare. I mean, it's trying to walk the line and instead landing spread legged on the fence. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of tripping over its own feet. 
which is and i'm i'm not saying you can't do the you can't go the comedy route because again reanimator great movie right yeah. that shit is great i'm not yeah but like well no not like tremors reanimator is not a comedy but it is funny yes unlike tremors which is funny but not a comedy right it's not the same thing, but I think, listeners, you know what I'm getting at. What we're saying is watch Tremors or Reanimator Or Reanimator. Though, oh, those are, why, why do we do that? Why do we listen to our listeners? God. <laughs> we're calling you out, sir. <laughs> I keep making this mistake every time. I hope time. you're happy. <laughs> um, let's see. Reanimator in the Mouth of Madness. Um, Jeffrey Combs. Jeffrey, Jeffrey Combs. Combs. Jeffrey Combs. Yeah. What? What is he ah, not doing? Ah, shit! In this? I don't have the money to pay him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, he's got that um, that Faust love of the damned money. He he's just doing things for fun now. <laughs> you know, they're paying out heavy residuals. Yeah, Faust I mean, once once you damned. get yeah that comic book money too, like that's that's where the real money is. Now that that movie was a masterclass in tone. <laughs> Uh, do we do we want to talk about um uh cast a deadly spell, at all, in our episode on same? Um. No. Okay, because because we've been talking about like all the movies leading up to it. No, we all the influences that led to it. You know, Tim, it's like progressive rock. Just like lean into it. You know, if we spend seventy five percent of the episode talking about fucking. My boyfriend's back from 1993. Let's not talk about that at all. <laughs> Let's, you know, th- the audience will accept it because we sell I, it. Yeah, I, th- I think in later decades, this would have been called magical realism, which is even worse than elevated horror as a term. Ugh, like, uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like if this were made today, they might have leaned into more of the scariness. And it would have been a little more successful. Maybe. And I don't know. Like, the weird thing is, that, like, there's magic in it. But, like, all the main characters are just kind of regular people. And there's not anyone really doing a lot of magic. Yes. I feel like they had a great premise that they didn't know how to follow through. Which is why a lot of things about, like, why don't you make it more like Alien? Why don't you make it more like, I don't know, other other Lovecraft movies? Why don't you make it more like Reanimator? It's not as bad as when... J.K. Rowling said that um, wizards would shit themselves and then just magic away the shit. Why don't they save a step and just like wizard away the shit before they even poop? I don't. I don't. I'm not a genius world builder like J.K. Rowling, famous turf. So yeah, I can't say. So could you use like one of those transformation po- potions to like turn yourself like into a different gender? <laughs> She didn't think the polyjuice potion all the way yeah, through. She didn't think, hmm, hmm. What a dumb bitch. Yeah, but she's rich, so. Oh, well, then I guess she's correct about everything then. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, uh, what else? What else? Some other. Uh, so, yeah, the, the movie is, um, I don't want to say confused, but for lack of a better word, um, because there are a lot of. There are a few. Okay, let's let's not go crazy. There are a few nice things in it. Like there is, um, there isn't a lot of comedy in it, but they do a callback about his ugly tie, which I'm fine with. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a number of times that I thought they do a running gag um, with like 
oh, here's my card, but he keeps handing out the Dance Studios card. And people just kind of roll with oh, it. Oh, yeah, that was funny. Yeah, I, I thought that was funny, but they did it like twice. And yeah. I'm like, I, I want to see that happen like every 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> They'd be like, oh, you changed professions now or what? Yeah, yeah. something like that. Like, I would have liked more of that. And I think what Jen's saying is that for a movie with monsters in it, she would have liked it to have been more scary. I am fine with it not having horror or comedy and just being a straight noir like there are you know you you took three scripts and just shuffled them together and and then made a movie out of it well and i wonder if maybe this was a noir story that wasn't that interesting until they grafted lovecraft onto it yeah that sounds like a definite possibility because i know uh and speaking from my from my years of lego experience it is like the easiest thing to do and what um what nerds love is if you take two things that don't go together and you put them together nerds are insane for that like i mean just look at like here i tell you what go into like your dresser and find one of your printed shirts and you will find two different intellectual properties mashed together and you're like (laughs) that's a delorean hitting the doctor who booth (laughs) <laughs> that's wild yeah it, like you because you're like oh these are two things that i normally don't see together but like that is like i don't know instant karma or something it is it is um like it's something i see a lot when people make their own stuff in lego where it's like oh i've combined this theme with that theme hey i've done a friend's blacktron build or something and it's nerds just love that shit of taking two things and putting them together how about doc brown's delorean hitting the world trade center Maybe not everything. (laughs) (laughs) How about Jeffrey Dahmer driving the DeLorean to an Arby's? I don't know. (laughs) Uh, Okay, yes, you're almost there. Or it is like... Well, look um, for this on Redbubble when I put it up. No, no. Okay, it's here. It's Perfect Strangers, but you replace Peter Scolari with Jeffrey Dahmer. (laughs) (laughs) Or, or it's Buffalo Bill, and it's like, oh, hey, funny, we're both dressed as women. And Tom Hanks is like, no, you, oh, Buffalo. <laughs> I love you, Buffalo. <laughs> ah, that's ten in the jar. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, yeah, you combine two things, and then, you know, you think, oh, we've got something on there. And it doesn't hurt that we've had, you know, up until... You know, the 90s, we've had a 10-year resurgence of noir and reimagined, uh, <laughs> elevate, oh, say it through gritted teeth, elevated serial um, content Ooh, for movies. The, ele- the most elevated serial to me is Golden Grams. God damn it. You know what I mean. <laughs> I will not play ball, Tim. <laughs> no, um, I, I know what you're saying, and I think that um, noir also tends to come around at um sort of dark times in history (laughs) Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. which is maybe why in 1991 um the kind of the beginning of like a very fat dumb and happy decade they Uh weren't gonna do like straight noir like it had to be like kind of goofy ass side noir Mm -hmm. but then a few years later you had um devil in a blue dress so who knows well, hey, yeah. Which is a, a great the, straight noir. 
Right. Well, you know, you had the you had the grunge music at the time, and uh, you know, people were open to more. <laughs> oh, and then um, around the same time, uh, L.A. Confidential, great noir. Yeah, there you go. That one's straight, although Jen has some fan fiction that would disagree. <laughs> it's all queer. Everything is queer. <laughs> the, uh, not just the, the comedy, but one of the other details, um, and one of the things that I wanted to bring up is because we haven't talked about David Warner's daughter other than her being a virgin sacrifice, but she shows up in what I am going to assume is an homage to the uh, younger sister in The Big Sleep. Yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth. I wanted to bring that up earlier and then didn't get a chance. Because Tim kept going, oh, something about uh, role-playing games and Legos. Eh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know him. <laughs> yeah, I've had the misfortune, yes. No, I, I, I had it in my mind, and then, of course, I kept forgetting to bring it up because that's how my mind works. But no, I think you're absolutely mm-hmm. right because this is almost a stock noir character in a way is kind of the unhinged jailbait yeah you have like the femme fatale and you have this ingenue oh shit you know what it kind of it's kind of like um melanie griffith's character in uh, night moves yeah it's kind of like the um sister daughter of chinatown i have i have seen five movies by the way <laughs> no yeah there's um it, there's um kind of the mature femme fatale and then there's the um ah uh-uh, don't touch you know, yeah, um, you can just say jailbait because I yeah. think you hit the nail on the head, although you should have waited until she was 17. <laughs> <laughs> hey, in 1948, who gives shit, right? Yeah, it wasn't even a rule. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And it is uh, because I at the time I watched The Big Sleep, I hadn't seen it until recently. But yeah, that minor character. Jesus Christ, that woman is sex on wheels. It's insane. Yeah, like she's um, you expect like kind of a, uh, a sort of forbidden flirtation between her and Fred mm-hmm. Ward's character but he's 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 well behaved cuz you know he knows what's what yeah but um oh am i getting my noirs confused it is the big sleep yeah big it? sleep okay cool yeah yeah with the uh, um Humphrey Bogart goes to the house and then there's that dotty yeah. bitch in the shorts yeah yeah and she's like hey thumb. you're cute i'm clearly insane and you should avoid me at all costs yeah yeah that's why they didn't put me in that position <laughs> like insane you say <laughs> oh i baby i would love to make several awful mistakes with you <laughs> you seem like you would be a net negative in my life what are you doing later <laughs> um what was I saying about... Uh, oh, and then well, the way they introduce her in the movie is that she's um, hunting a unicorn. Yeah. And uh, I didn't get a real good look at where Dave Warner's character, her father, is supposed to live, but it's kind of, I would... Ex- with that level of wealth, I would expect, you know, like, Bel Air. And I'm like, okay, yeah. so there are, like, fucking unicorns running down, like, Sunset Boulevard? Like, What? I guess so. It's it's unicorns kind of go with the vampires and werewolves for me, where I'm like... Okay. Well, it's never shown. It's not tightly integrated into the story. Like, a unicorn and her mentioning, like, oh, it's a sacrifice to Diana, and I burn my clothes and I worship her in the nude because I'm jailbait. She was um, bullshitting. She was just trying to be shocking. Oh, yeah. That's the thing. But, like, do... But still, like, I think, like, the amount of, like, the voluminous research that you need to do... In order to like make a movie where the magical element holds the story together, 
is way above what this movie is asking for. It's like, just put some monsters in my fucking, like, detective movie, please. Yeah, it does feel like that. You know, where you say, like, oh, magic. Like, I don't know, put a fucking unicorn in it. Right, yeah. But you're saying, you're describing this this uh, piece of ass. <laughs> what, the unicorn? I don't know. It's a it's <laughs> piece of ass, like a mule with a horn. <laughs> <laughs> They only call it a they call it a unimule. Do you remember the time when you texted me and you were like, "They're called acorns because they only have acorn." <laughs> and then I wrote back, "Also true of unicorns." <laughs> I stand by it. I mean, you, what are you wrong? No, yeah, I mean count the count the corns. <laughs> <laughs> God. Uh. The- the interesting thing. I need um, more sinus medication. <laughs> right. The the interesting. Well, I'll, I'll I'll let you go soon, Jen. You and the uh, ever patient listener. Um, <laughs> is that the interesting thing is, is the sort of meta context of um, the insane younger sister in the big sleep is that she she enters that movie like a wrecking ball. So to to uh, borrow a phrase, like a like she, another. Um piece of jail bait we once right? knew. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then she kind of disappears because the studio's like, this is a bogey Bacall picture, not a bogey jail bait picture. And like, Tim is to... like, Lauren Bacall? I can roll with that. Right, yeah, all four feet eleven of her. <laughs> she's she's little. Tiny. Um yeah. Uh but not as tiny as uh Olympia, who was the uh, the first female vocalist of Little Big, then um, she quit and they replaced her with Sonia. I don't know how tall she is, but I'm going to assume not very. Veronica Lake was like 4'11 as well. Another yeah. famous femme fatale. Yeah. They made him all... tinier then. Right, yeah. They're, they're made in the Tom Cruise mold, I think, literally. <laughs> like, if you go to uh, uh, Grauman's Chinese and you look at the footprints of the female stars of mm-hmm. the golden age of Hollywood, those feet are tiny. Right, yeah. It's, it was back when they just had tiny women, and then they're like, you know, we can save a step and just use children. <laughs> and Moloch was well pleased. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> speaking of, um, not just uh, you know, to, to fly off our own butts here, um, the, I, I am reminded of our guest's um, observation from the Lake of Fire episode, when she said, you're Californians, you're all basically pagans. And then seeing this in the movie, now I'm like, damn, she was right. Yeah. Millie's very smart. Yeah. Check out her. our Lake of Fire episode, everyone. Yeah, it's a hoot. We I'd talk say, about... I'd say go to our Patreon to look at it, but Tim took care of that at the opening of the episode, so... Right, yeah. <laughs> well, you can you can still be reminded. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's funny to see, you know, Hollywood portrayed as this, you know pagan back and all of uh you know just uh you know left-handed path uh you know worshipers of uh of uh demons and uh, elemental evil yeah it all you know that part at least rings true it certainly does i i i i don't know like i wish it maybe 1991 was the wrong time i would have liked the world building to be a little more textured i don't know am i asking for too much yes yes you are Mm. Yeah, I think that you had it right when you said this was a you know this is a middling noir that's like we need to mash it together with something else to make it interesting. Yeah, and um, the writer of this is a, a you know just a 
TV writer who worked on stuff like 30-something. The director was Martin Campbell, who, when I saw his name, I was like, wait, I know that from somewhere. He went on to much greater success with um, Mask of Zorro, with mm-hmm. um, Antonio Banderas and um, Catherine Zeta-Jones. And its sequel. I didn't even remember that movie had a sequel. I... Legend there, of Zorro. All right. There, there are a lot of things I don't know about movies. I mean, have you been listening? <laughs> but he um, also directed a couple of Bond pictures later on. Okay. And um, I hate to say it, but also the gr- the Green Lantern starring Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure he hates to say it, too. Yeah. So there it is. But uh, yeah, uh, a man with ups and downs in his filmography, but apparently still working because he's got um, he's got a movie in the works right now. Hey, you know, he he gets he gets him out the door. Maybe that's all that really matters. And I'll say this. There isn't really anything wrong with the direction of this movie. Um, I feel Mm -hmm. like his instincts with the actors were correct. I I mean, I take your point about um, Julian Moore possibly playing it up a bit. But I feel like the decision to have the actors playing their characters relatively straight was probably the correct instinct and it's certainly visually interesting enough that uh i wasn't like falling asleep or bored during it Mm -hmm. it's just that this uh, this material is just very like b movie tv (laughs) to me (laughs) just because it feels so schlocky yeah and and that like i said it has a lot of things that are um that are interesting texture, but not really in service of the story. Like if you were watching um, like Angel Heart and like halfway through like that, um, you know, that that guy's description of like the uh, uh, how they, they cut out this guy's heart to like steal his soul. And then halfway through, he like starts telling you about UFOs. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way like, of putting it. Yeah. Like there's a lot of extraneous <laughs> things that don't don't really aid the movie. I do have another theory on this because you know how I was trying to, you know, build a case unsuccessfully earlier about, you know, Batman and, you know, newspaper serials and um uh, and those being the um the inspiration for for a lot of these movies. I feel like there were you know influential directors trying something new and different like um you know like Who Framed Roger Rabbit, you know, like the Tim Burton Batman. And I think that that sort of sets the trend that gets the ball rolling. And then it kind of filters down through like second tier, you know, directors and then onto people who are chasing trends. And I think you get movies like this out of that. I mean, this is coming, um, you know, th- th- this is coming like what, 12 years after, you know, after, uh, you, who from Roger Rabbit is shaking up, you know, like the noir genre it comes, you know, a year after the two Jakes. It's it is people were trying things, um, in in sort of a a, a reimagining of the noir genre, and I think that this one kind of came along being like, get me a neo noir genre crossover picture, and that's that's how we got this. It's sort of the the tail wagging the dog. Yeah, I. I have to say that, um, not, not that I'm like, I'm not like Forrest J. Ackerman. I'm not, I don't 
know like everything about every piece of genre material, but I think mm-hmm. I have like a pretty good grasp of the genre landscape. And the fact that I hadn't heard of this one before mm-hmm. is maybe kind of indicative of where it stands in like the canon of like, um, you know, Sinoir Lovecraftian uh, treatments. Yeah, if you can think of, of Dagon before thinking of this movie, like right. Well, only yeah. because Dagon and I have a history That's that true. I won't yeah. I won't talk about. <laughs> uh, you just want to keep a piece of Dagon for yourself. <sighs> yeah. Uh, if you want to know what happened with me and Dagon, you have to join our Patreon at the ten dollar level. <laughs> uh, or what else? Like, yeah, from Beyond, where it's like, yeah, it is. They're movies that are that are shocking but goofy. Yeah, man, From Beyond is really fun. It is more fun than this. In a way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, Julian Moore doesn't have a lot to do. Like, I like the actors in it. You know, I like you know Fred Ward from uh, Tremors. I like Clancy Brown from all the stuff he's been in. Fred Ward, um, rest in peace. By the way, I think we just lost him last year. Oh, too bad. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, God, anything else that we want to say about this other than, um, geez, you know, the sad thing is, and I know one of our listeners is going to be disappointed. We did not even touch on the subject of converting this into a Call of Cthulhu adventure. True. Maybe because the work has already been done for you in a way. Like, do you Could think this be. would just like transplant directly to the the table? You know what I mean? I Yeah. And even still, I think that like, if you try to present the story to your players, they'd be like, okay. Uh, which which one's Harry? Which one's Mickey? <laughs> Wait, what's hey? I I think I think Lily is Connie. Like no, <laughs> we no we definitely need to investigate Lydia. Lydia is probably the one. About, like ah, oh, jeez, make an idea roll. <laughs> mm-hmm.